Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. The Ringer's got a brand new show out now about NFL player Cam Newton called The Cam Chronicles. We'll be releasing new episodes every Monday for the next six weeks, but you can binge all six episodes right now for free on Spotify. Here's a quick trailer. From The Ringer, I'm Tyler Tons, host of the new podcast series, The Cam Chronicles. NFL star Cam Newton has always been a complex figure. Over the past year, I've traveled the country speaking to coaches and teammates, friends and family, and even briefly to the man himself, trying to unravel the enigma that is Cam Newton. The Ringer NFL Show presents Cam Chronicles. Listen to the full series now on Spotify. Nicky boy, just in time. Uncle Frank. What? Ziggy. The fuck is it this time? Get your narrow ass back to the district before I slap you with insubordination. Shot. He shot the fucking Christ. You need to take your black ass across Charles Street to where it belongs. What? You don't know you're supposed to, you're a fucking cousin. You're his father. You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Please. Nigga with a library card. A locker. Man, we are now in the home stretch of season mm. two. Right. It's coming to an end. Uh, we're in the final. I guess it would be three episodes and things take a major turn in this episode, episode 10 storm mornings, as it is appropriately called. Uh, what were some of your big takeaways from this particular uh, episode? Um, Cause I feel like this is like the setup episode for what happens over the next three episodes, the final three. So um, what were your takeaways? Uh, square pegs, round holes. This is sort of the episode where things that don't fit fall out of place. Uh, you see that kind of in a lot of different situations. You see, finally, Presbo, a guy who is, doesn't fit quite, never really quite fit, almost found a groove with the police department, but never quite fit. This is not the thing that is going to erase Presbo from the police department, but it's the beginning uh, of the end for him. You see him kind of square off with Falchek. Uh, you have Kima in the whole family Kima situation where Cheryl is moving along, fitting right in to the life of a mother, homie type thing. Kima is not. She's not fitting in. She is finding her place back amongst the police officers that she really identifies with. She is now back in the thick of it. Has been for a while, but the more she starts to fit in with them, the less she fits in at home. You have Bodie, who is not, not fitting, going along well with this new plan in the towers. This is something that is completely antithetical to the life that Bodie knows. He doesn't know anything about cooperating with them east side bitches. He knows <laughs> nothing about that. I guess you could say a partnership between the east and west side. That is probably the uh, consummate square peg in the round hole. That right there as well. Square pegs, round holes, man. Cheese. Uh, then, of course, Ziggy. You're going to see Ziggy somewhere who is kind of the, the consummate square peg in this entire season. And we're going to see the tragic outcome of what happens when you don't quite fit 
but you want to fit so, so badly, which is sort of the tragedy of Ziggy's character. Yeah, I, I saw this whole episode is kind of um, when the chickens come home to roost in terms of disrespect. And mm. what we see is that there's a couple very key moments of disrespect that occur in this episode that wind up being a real key and unraveling much larger things that go on. You know, Ziggy is a, a, I mean, that's been the story of Ziggy this entire season is that he's somebody who feels beaten down, disrespected, disregarded, um, you know, bamboozled, led astray, all of that. Mm -hmm. And the, his continual treatment is, is really, as we see how that culminates and, and we'll get into that in a moment and we'll see how he's treated winds up being kind of the final nail in the, in the Sabaka, uh, you know, family. Um, Along those same lines, you see the same thing with Cheese because this is what happens between him and Brother Muzon becomes another key and unraveling kind of this entire world because Cheese, the whole reason or what he fights for a lot and, and, and why he's so despicable. I think he's much more despicable than Ziggy. We said we, at some point we were going to argue about that. Who was worse, Ziggy or Cheese? I think it's Cheese by far because his motivations... like. I understand why Ziggy is hurt. Like considering the relationship with his father, how he's somebody who's really smart, but he does not fit to your point about square peg round holes. He does not fit into this union lifestyle. Like he's not a port worker. Like that's not what he is. Cheese on the other hand, he has no, cheese isn't disrespected or, I mean, he's disrespected of his own doing because he's a moron. Like there is no, there is nothing redeemable about cheese, but I think there are some redeemable things about, Ziggy. So uh, even though they're both kind of disrespected in their own families, in their own territory, I think it's just much different reasons there. So you see that. And of course, Valchek and Prez, his son-in-law, you know, Valchek took shit too far and Prez had to let him know like, hey, we might be related by marriage, which is different when you re than being related by blood. And as somebody who's right. recently married, I can tell you, it's a difference, all right? <laughs> you family, but you like you ain't family, all right? And right. sometimes, yeah, yeah. sometimes you have to you have to know that. So you see all of these these characters who are feeling slighted and disregarded, and how those slights and dis that disregard motivates them to do undoable things. Mm. Yeah. yeah, listen. In, in terms of cheese and Ziggy. I've come a little. I've come a little ways with Ziggy. Now. You have you. I thought when we started season two, you were you drew your line in the sand with Ziggy. You were pretty much I like did. fuck this dude. I did. That was basically yeah. right. Yeah, but I but but I've come a little ways with Ziggy. It's hard to say that about Ziggy about someone who doesn't seem to be in control of anything and is really just grasping for air. Like watching Ziggy's character over the course of this season is like watching a drowning man. It's not some. It's not so much watching someone that is as intentionally a bastard as Cheese is. Cheese is, there's an intentionality with Cheese. There's an intentionality with some of the other characters that we don't like, characters that we'll meet later on in the series that makes them truly despicable. They had their chances to do things in the right way and they choose the wrong way. Ziggy had his chances, but a lot of things just befell Ziggy. Like a lot of things just kind of like, even in this episode, we're going to talk later on, Ziggy did his caper right. He did what he was supposed to do. All he wanted to be, all he wanted really was to be treated like everybody else is treated. And he just never seemed to be able to get there. So 
There is something tragic about Ziggy when I go back and watch the season that is a little bit different. He still is that fuck up that fucks everything up. His inability to adapt to the realities of his world still becomes something tragic, not just for him, but for the people around him. But it is tragic. It's not sinister. Right. Whereas with Cheese, it's sinister and not as tragic at all. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I I don't feel any remote um, level of, of sympathy for Cheese at all. And he continues to just get worse and worse over the course of the next, uh, you know, kind of two seasons. And we're starting to see like little inklings of that now. Let me recap what happens here in Storm Warnings. So Ziggy finally snaps. He kills Double G. And he um, severely injures uh, his mm. his cashier worker that is in the store after being cheated slash disrespected out of the Benz deal. And to your point about like Ziggy, for all intents and purposes, he really did organize a pretty well thought out plan. And he's been searching throughout this whole season to try to find his own way. He didn't love the fact that. Uh, he was only earning money by proxy through Nikki and the whole heroin uh, and drug situation he did. He wanted to really find something of his own. And he finally does that. And again, the execution was there. But at the end of the day, because he's Ziggy and because people see him as a joke, it winds up being um, a really uh, unthinkable and horrible situation uh, for him. Um, so we also have Agent Kutris continuing to be the Greek's best friend. Uh, by telling him uh, they get a tip from him and then they wind up shutting everything down, which puts the the detail at a serious disadvantage. Brother moves on, who at this point, we're just like, who is this dude with the bow tie? Well, right. we knew who he was, but I don't think we understood how Brother Mo- brother Muzon got down till this episode, all right? Right. And we yeah. will take a deeper dive into his character in a moment. He shot Cheese and thus suddenly... Prop Joe is now in the middle of this mess with Stringer, despite beforehand trying to tell Stringer, like, hey, man, that's your problem. What, whatever you, is the disagreement between you and Avon, that's on y'all. Now Prop Joe is firmly in the middle of this because of what Brother Muzon does to Cheese. Um, and to that end, you have Prop Joe approaching Butchie about arranging another meeting between Stringer and Omar because some shit is really about to go down. And uh, as we just talked about a second ago, Valchek takes things too far because he feels like the detail is losing focus on Frank Sabaka. That's who he wants. And he's upset uh, that they are not giving him the pettiness that he so ordered <laughs> at the beginning mm-hmm. of the season. They got this all uh, got this whole uh, ball kind of turning. And so he takes things too far, disrespects Perez, treats him like a child in front of the unit. And Perez just said, you know what? Take this knuckle sandwich. <laughs> and to make it happen, I gave you all this. And what did you give me? Major, you're going to get some. Roland, get your shit. You want to do it your way, fine. But you ain't going to use my people to fuck me. Get your gear. I'm pulling you. I got... There's work. You said... Get your narrow ass back to the district before I slap you with insubordination. Move, shitbird! Jesus! You know, I mean, you know how deep that is that you got to be to to fire on your damn father-in-law. Like that's some shit on, on your father-in-law and a major, a major at on your the job, job. <laughs> on the job. Did you? I, the, my favorite part about that scene, everyone, when you are watching that scene, 
go back and look at the look on Daniels' face when Prez socks the shit out of Valchek. <laughs> Daniels looks like he just saw Freddy Krueger. <laughs> like that, like, like Daniels of, of everybody in there, Daniels knows the ramifications of that. His eyes go, like he, he is horrified that that could have happened. And it just shows you the seriousness of what it means to be that insubordinate to where you struck a commanding officer. It's a huge, huge thing. And you could tell really brilliantly played by Jim Trufoss. Um, uh, Frost, you, it, like, it came from deep, 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 mm-hmm. deep, deep inside prayer. Stop been holding fucking that with in. me. He had been yeah, holding that Yeah, man. Like, he sure. wanted, he's wanted to do that since he probably met that dude. But he's like, I'm a chill. Because that's yeah. my girl's, you know, father-in-law. And lo and behold, it's just like, whoa, he really unleashed on him. That's yeah. deep, man. That That is it super is. deep. So, um, but by the way, you mentioned Daniel's looks, uh, the way he looked when he saw that. I took it as, to quote the great philosopher Ron Burgundy, it was like, I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. Like, there was a part of him that was like, damn, man, like. I'm kind of impressed that I, you did that shit. <laughs> I didn't see that at all. Just look at his eyes. Look how big his eyes I know. get, Jamel. His eyes get so big to where he's like, what the fuck is happening right now? But uh, but the wheel, you're talking about the wheel of cheese. Yes, the wheel. Ron Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> when Baxter ate the wheel of cheese. I'm when not Baxter even... ate the uh, real quick sidebar, Van Lathan sidebar. Funniest scene in, in Anchorman. Um, for me, you think that is? No. Or you just want to know? What's, what, what's, what's the funniest scene to you? Oh man, it's it's got to be the fight. To me, it's the fight, like the fight between um, all the different networks mm-hmm. <laughs> and PBS and all. Like right. that is the funniest scene to me. It's easily when Jack Black punts Baxter. No, kick- oh, I love when he punts Baxter. He kicked when he kicked the dog. Like true story, and we can end the sidebar after this and get back to the wire. I was removed from a theater for laughing that hard. Removed. They they made me get out. Probably racist, but like they 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 made me get out. Like I laughed so hard that like I was because I wasn't expecting him to kick the dog, and it wasn't a perfect kick. The dog came off the side of the foot. He shanked. He shanked the dog. He shanked the dog. But like anyway, anyway, love Anchorman. I'm gonna watch it again. Bottom line, you hate animals. I got it. (laughs) No, no, no. Shout out to Baxter, but it was just funny. Hates dogs, and he thinks they should be shanked. (laughs) That's what we got out of the sidebar. So all this, I mean. All of this goes down in storm mornings. But as I said a second ago, the the character we really want to take a deep dive on is Brother Muzon, who he's just so fascinating in so many levels. Like you, we, we talk about this all the time on this podcast about people who have a high PR, player efficiency rating. Mm. Brother Muzon got to be in the top five, man. He has got to be in the top five because every scene that he's in he manages to steal or he manages to have such an incredible presence, sometimes even with just a look, just by the way he's dressed, just by the way that he carries himself, he steals every interaction he has. There's only one person he doesn't, and we'll see that a little bit later, is his uh, scene, not in this episode, but but later on in the season, his scene with with Omar. It's like, because mm-hmm. those two are going tit for tat. And so um, for him to not be a major, major credit character. He's a major through line in it. I think every time he's on the screen, it's just special, personally. That's the way I look at him. Yeah, it's hard for me. Normally, this is the point where I make a pop culture corollary to some other show. And when I was thinking about this, 
It's difficult to find a character like Brother Muzan in another show. And the reason that is, is because he is absolutely integral to the plot here, right? He is so important, but he's one note. Like, and, and but like he's normally when a character is that important to a plot, they give them some dimensions. They, because you need dimensions to craft a story around a character sometimes. He's one note, but in the best possible way. Uh, you know, he means business. The moment that that Cheese rolls up on him and he pulls out so fast on Cheese. Am I correct in assuming that you are not employed by Mr. Barksdale? Hell yeah. Because if that is the case, then I have to insist that you leave. You need to take your black ass across Charles Street where it belongs. What? Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on now. Hold on now. You know what I'm saying? He, he don't know what this is. He ain't what he think. You know what I'm saying? First of all, we got permission to grind in these here towers. Second of all, I don't give a fuck what the fuck you need. Not only does he pull out fast on Cheese and he shoots him, he gets Cheese and he lets him know that that first shot was rat shot, right? The first shot was rat shot. The next one is a bullet that I've designed myself. You know what that tells me about Brother Muzon's character? Is he came to the towers that day knowing he was going to have to shoot somebody because the first bullet that he loaded up was a warning shot. So he knew that he was going to have to make his point at some time during that day. He loaded a warning shot enough to make you go, damn, this guy just shot me. And then to come back and let you know the next one kills you. So when you have a character that's that sure of themselves, you almost can't give them too much to do because very rarely do people like that exist in the real world. But the way that they weave him into the story as almost like the ultimate truth, because you think that that's Omar, right? But he's actually almost more pure in that than Omar because we're going to see a little, not in this episode, but in the next episode, we're going to see a little confusion from Omar. It's going to be the first time Omar doesn't really know what's what. But Brother Muzan, it seems certain every time you run up against him, and that's kind of something that doesn't exist in the wire that much is that feeling of certainty. That guy that knows how everything is going to happen, um, knows what's going on, and just gets the job done over and over and over and over again. Um, so that's very important right now. And that's what would have had to happen for him being in the towers because there was so much uncertainty. You got the east side against the west side. The only person that knows why they're there what they're supposed to be doing, what their purpose is in that situation is him. Yeah, you, you are right in the sense that it is unusual to have a one-note character with this much impact. But, the, 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 and by the way, the one thing I, uh, I, I love about that scene where he shoots cheese, in addition to feeling such satisfaction that he was shooting cheese, all right, <laughs> getting behind that is when he says to him, Ask yourself, what do I have to do before this brother what raises man, up raise his, his gun? Up, this man raise his gun, gun again. again. What? <laughs> Much to your point about warning shot, it's like not only did he give him a warning, he just like forget all you asking why and all that. You only need right. to ask yourself one damn question: What's gonna right. happen if I raise up this gun again? I was like, oh, oh right. shit. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, mm -hmm. I love the fact that Brother Muzan is well read; that he's like mm -hmm. a scholar 
and a killer at the same time. So in a way, they yeah. did give him one dimension that you do, you're left wondering about, like, why is he so well-read? Why is this important to him? Like, why is he this serene figure that, uh, despite the fact that he murders people for a living, he seems to be highly educated and not in the sense like he probably has a bunch of degrees on the wall, but he just seems informed. He is that, that rare conversation uh, combination between being informed from a book sense and from a big picture sense, big picture sense, but also understanding the game. He understands mm-hmm. the game as well. I mean, the two people who, or maybe three people who understand the game as well as anybody in this series is probably Omar, uh, brother Muzan and Avon. They they yeah. they know this game, and so it leaves you wondering so many times about like where is this dude from? Like how yeah. is he like this? How is his makeup, you know, like this? Um, so I think that gave the character a little complexity to make him um such a unique figure in a world where I think you kind of understand where the characters come from and what their motivations are, and with him. You don't know what's turned him into a killer. You don't know why he enjoys doing this, but he's got a meticulous nature about him that makes you, um, you know, that makes you kind of look at him like, ah, like I know what he is, but there's just something kind of magnetic and charismatic about him. That's definitely true. I think that the fact that he's well read, so no one that is as good as their job at their job as Brother Muzon could be reckless, right? Right. So. Uh, Weebay was good muscle, but even a guy like Weebay is different than a guy like Brother Muzan, right? Brother Muzan, l- later on, Avon is going to say something that I think is uh, is very funny. Avon's going to say, you basically need like a day of the jackal type nigga, not a rough and tumble nigga like, rough and tumble nigga like Slim. That's next season. Um, but uh, that day of the jackal type guy, that's kind of Brother Muzan, right? He's the type of guy that is, like, remember, he also, when he shoots, when you talk about how meticulous he is, when he shoots cheese, he lets him know that the next bullet in his gun he created, he is a ballistics expert. So, like, and you, by the way, you would have to be a ballistics expert or at least very proficient in it to make your own bullets. You know, I know you guys watched The Walking Dead and you saw that Eugene can make bullets and all of that stuff like that. But if you're making bullets, I know guys from back home who make their own ammunition and it's... Wait, they make their own? You are, I forget, yeah. you are from Louisiana. From Louisiana. Yeah, yeah I know that guys kinda, back that home makes sense. that make their own. And my dad is so funny. My dad would never shoot it. My dad, my cousin would come over and be like, yo, I made something going to 30 out 6 Be like, I'm not shooting that shit so my rifle could blow up. Give me the Winchesters. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, so I think that, you know, the one dimension that I'm specifically talking about is that, you know, you don't see very much e- emotional range in him. All of those things to me the fact that he's so well read, it all it all speaks to the level of expertise that a character like that, that a man like that would have to to have uh, to have lasted as long doing what he is. Remember, he doesn't work for one group of people where he can be in one hood and scope it, right? So if you're Weebay or Stinkum or even uh, any of the other hitters that we're going to see from West Baltimore, the reason why you're an expert in what you're doing there is because you grew up on those streets. You know the alleys, you know the corners, you know all of that stuff, right? Brother Muzon in this situation came from New York. So he came down from New York. 
So wherever he steps into, he's not quite, even though I'm sure he spent time with Baltimore, they knew him well, he's not quite as expert in his surroundings as other other people were. So what he has to rely on is philosophy and tactics. That's why somebody like that is so, I guess, meticulous or deliberate in what it is that they're doing. And that's kind of what I see from him. And that is is needed, especially in a, in a season where everyone seems to be out of sorts. The one thing that's going to bring this whole storyline that's going to start, that starts basically in this episode, back to justice, is that of all the people involved, there was one person who was incorruptible and who was just the, who was just laser sighted on what was going on with the game and about his word and about mission accomplishment. And that was brother. Yeah. It's funny. Cause the first time I watched the wire, I actually thought they were saying his brother, his name was brother moves on. Like he moves on oh, after killing your ass. Yeah. And then I was like, Oh, it's moves on. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> cause that would have also uh, made sense. And I, as somebody who is a journalist by trade, I very much enjoyed his reading selection, one of which being The Atlantic. Ooh, so I was, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, Come I was on. very, very happy that Brother Muzon was upon one of the best publications in America. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the, the, there's is something to be said about the way that uh, Simon has built the characters in here that are supposed to be the goons. Like, he's made a very, uh, he's made a deliberate differentiation between, say, White Weebay, actual Weebay, um, Brother Muzon and Omar. Yeah, it's almost like the people who do um, giving them an altruistic reason for killing. Like you don't, you judge how Weebay kills somebody and how Sergey slash Boris slash White Weebay, how they kill people. You judge them much differently. The fact that he allows us to almost, um, I don't want to say fall in love, but almost have a soft spot for people like a brother Muzon or Omar is like kind of a testament uh, to good writing. And I think he's able to do that by having them adhere to these principles that are, although they apply to the world that they're in, they're a little naive because everybody's not playing the game by those rules. And here you have Mm -hmm. these guys who are often called in as, as henchmen who are called in because frankly, the, 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 the goons that these organizations have aren't doing the job themselves. Right, but they ad- adhere to a completely different code, which I think adds to the allure and to the reputation he is trying to have them, uh, trying to have them, um, kind of have. I mean, before we even laid eyes on Brother Muzon, we had started to hear about Brother Muzon. Like he yeah. don't play, he don't play. Brother Muzon don't play. He don't play. Like so, he they did a great job of even by the time we saw him, even though he doesn't look very menacing, there was still you still bought it. I mean, yeah. the guy's maybe 5'10". I mean, maybe. Yeah. And he's wearing a bow tie and he's got on these glasses and he's well read. And in what world would you be afraid of a dude like that? But they were right. able to capture and build the fear before we actually, um, you know, laid eyes on him. And just the way that he operated, the calmness. That's what it was. That was the word I was looking for. The calmness in which Brother Muzon operates is so unnerving. Like Omar doesn't operate calm. Right. I mean, he's not like out of control, but he's certainly not calm. This dude is a very ex- emotional character. Exactly. I mean, it's, Omar is for sure. Yes. Yeah. We, we see how he responded, you know, when his lover was killed and how yeah. some in, in his 
vengeance uh, against the Barksdale organization overall was, was from an emotional place. Where brother moves on because it's always calm and it's never personal with him. It's just I'm doing a job. It's something much more frightening about that. My dad used to say it ain't nothing scarier than someone who ain't scary. It don't like it. It like someone that doesn't. We all identify with fear. One of the first things you learn as a child is how to be scared. You know, somebody jumps out at you, you're scared. You see something, you're scared. When somebody's not scared, when there's no fear in them, you automatically go, oh, shit. Like, if I can't scare this person, if fear isn't a tool, what is? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, my God, what do I do if I, if, you know, and and we would, you see this in babies. I remember I got a little nephew. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, he's older now, but I remember <laughs> When he was a baby, he was a baby. I remember uh, one of my uh, aunts looking at him and going, something wrong with that boy. I'm telling you. <laughs> Don't nothing scare that boy. I'm telling you, like, something wrong with that boy. There's something wrong with him now. Now he's in the military, and we're glad that nothing scares him because he's out there keeping the world safe. But, Or at least keeping corporations that have their holds on America in the right place. Whatever. Uh, uh, but, 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 yeah, so you're right. Like, when you see that, and even where he's sitting there with cheese, he didn't blink. He just raised up his gun and he shot the man. <laughs> and then, like, he didn't blink. He wasn't even scared of the police. He shot his gun, shot somebody in broad daylight. He didn't blink. So didn't even, You wonder, this was the thing that I always wondered about him. Why does he need, like. His guy. I, why does he need him? Yeah. <laughs> why does he need Lamar? Like, I, I, don't, I don't get yeah. it. I'm just like. Maybe, surely you could find somebody else to go get your magazines. Like, I, surely you can, right? So, like, right. Is, and he's supposed to be the muscle, I guess. I'm like, I don't get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting arrangement. And, of course, one of my favorite lines um, from this particular episode is when he says, You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Nigga with a library card. Wow. You're right. Brother moves right, on. <laughs> Coming mm. with them haymakers. But anyway, I, I think he's one of the more, if not the most endearing, smaller characters in The Wire. High PR. I, I just, I could not love this guy uh, more. I'm so excited to introduce the Bakari Sellers podcast in partnership with The Ringer. We're tackling the issues of the day through interviews with high profile guests and conversations with a rotating panel of the country's best and leading thinkers, influencers and writers. You know, I'm not only an attorney and a former elected official. Sometimes you see me on CNN and I'm a new author of a New York Times bestselling book, My Vanishing Country. But now we're introducing the Bakari Sellers podcast, and we're going to cover everything from the 2020 election to sports and culture to the larger movement for racial equality in the United States. We're going to have some of your favorite quarterbacks, some of your favorite politicians, some of your favorite athletes, writers, singers, actors, actresses. The Bakari Sellers podcast will debut on Monday, June 29th. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's talk about some of the best scenes. I definitely thought him shooting cheese uh, was right up there. What were some of the other best scenes about this episode that uh, stuck out to you? 
obviously, uh, Ziggy lights up everybody in the uh, in, in double G's. That's great. In but the bootleg Radio a- Shack. <laughs> Malaka. That thing is actually secondary to which, what I feel like is the best scene in the episode, which I'll come back to in a second. Uh, obviously, when, when Presbo pops Valchek, that is a tremendous uh, turning point in the, in the entire why well, I love that. I love the way it's played by Jen True Frost. Just the fact that the look in him, he's never been sure of anything in his life that he wanted to sock the shit out of Valchek. He's never been sure. Even after he did it, Here's my badge. Here's my gun. He already I'm knew. Here. Yeah, he, he already knew his career was sealed. The The other interesting thing about that is up until this point, even though Prez had redeemed himself from kind of being, you know, the town idiot, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, given how he, he started on the detail, is that we, every time, most of the time, we've seen him make rash decisions. And this is not just is exactly necessarily over. But when we see him make these rash decisions, they usually... It was be- it was because of his incompetence, but in this one, you felt like he was totally justified in punching the shit out of his daddy. I was like, right. I I was relieved for him because I was cringing as Valchek was going in on him. Like, damn, dog, right. like that's your son-in-law, you know. And then to embarrass him in front of the rest of the unit, I was, I mean, I, I, th- this was come up and that Valchek, not just for how he tried to humiliate Prez deserve, but frankly for just his behavior overall in this season. Like somebody needed to punch the shit out of that, out of that dude a long time ago. And by the way, him punching him is a weird father's away for later moment. Yes. It yes, is. it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a weird father. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, Prez Belusky, um violence on another officer is a weird father's away for later moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but the two scenes that I'm going to kind of link together here, it's 1A and 1B. So when Ziggy freaks out inside of uh, Double G's. It was my fucking ass out there on the line. Mine. And this, this piddling shit is the best that you come up with. You don't play me like that. You don't. The reason why that is such a powerful scene is because very rarely on the wire do we see somebody's worst nightmare come true before their eyes. Ziggy's worst nightmare wasn't that he flipped out and killed everybody in the store. That wasn't his worst nightmare. His worst nightmare was that people really don't give a fuck about him. Ziggy pulled off a heist. Perfectly planned, perfectly executed, with a fantastic alibi, all of that, right? The the perfect crime for Ziggy delivered it to these people that he had been in business with with his cousin right did everything right had somebody checking out things everything and he still wasn't respected enough to get a fair day's pay for what he did they still sunned him after proving he was the big man after proving he mattered after proving he could go it alone after proving all of that he still got sun. Ziggy didn't care about the money in that situation. He did that crime to be paid in respect. And at the end of it, he was still shorted. And then he shorted. 
literally in his brain. That was Ziggy's final straw right there. So watching that, his worst scene comes true during that interaction. And that's something that doesn't happen that much on the show. And then the scene where Nikki and Frank are going back and forth after Ziggy has uh, done what he's done. That is the whole Sabaka family. In a nutshell. nutshell. Yep. That's the whole thing. He gets on him. It's it's Frank Sabaka in a nutshell, too. He gets on him. He's your cousin. He's your cousin. You're supposed to know what he's doing. Nikki's like, yo, you're his father. (laughs) Yeah. You don't know you're supposed to. You're his fucking cousin. You're his father. You're like, you're his father. You passed that buck a long time ago, and now the bill is burning. So I thought that those were both two of the, yo, hey man, you know, you know what, guys? Fuck you guys, man. Season two is off the chain. I'm sorry, man. Season two of The Wire is great it gets fucking such television. It's a bad rap. It's-, it's great television, man. I don't know what you guys, I look, especially these, these last four or five, six episodes just been cooking, man. Cooking. I'm glad you gave it that that shout out again because it, it just bears repeating as much as possible. It's like this season is truly uh, phenomenal. Um, in terms of, of of great scenes, the the other thing I noticed when going back to when Ziggy killed uh, Double G is the way that they shot that after he after he shoots everybody in there, you feel immediately the remorse and the regret that he feels that he yeah. when he understands in that moment as you said that this is his his it's, it's his worst nightmare because yes he has been disrespected for the final time and shown that nobody cares about you but it's his worst nightmare because i think ziggy always knew that if not contained those feelings and emotions would lead to exactly where he was he always right. knew it i mean he's always been acting out this entire season in little ways it's like okay he killed somebody this time, but before it was the duck. It was throwing the money out the window. It was like he's always doing something whenever he feels that he has just been painfully disregarded and disrespected. And this was the ultimate culmination of that. And when he walks outside of that store and they use that kind of a that spinning effect and you in that moment watching it, you feel his entire world completely crumbling. And the way that they shot that and how they use that effect. Um, it just really sent home just how powerful that that scene was without him having uh, to kind of do much. Um, another scene I like too is when Nikki, of course, when he finds out everything that's happened to Ziggy and he's on the uh, the spin. I forget what that spinning thing is called in the park. I don't, I'm just I'm struggling to remember what that is. Isn't that is a merry-go-round? It's a merry-go-round. Well, it's not a merry-go-round, but I, not, I think that's a merry-go-round. Is it a merry- it's merry-go-round? The merry-go-round has is the horse that has the horses, what? right? <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. That's that's not called a, we used to call it a merry-go-round. That's not is, a merry-go-round. What is it called? Okay, maybe it is. Uh, I I'm, gonna look it up. I'm, gonna look, I'm looking up. You keep talking. All I'm going right. to look it up right now. I haven't now. seen one of those in a, in a long time. I, I had, don't have much uh, uh, reason to be uh, around playgrounds and stuff these days. And because of the, um, you know, the way technology is, they got all kind of like new shit anyway. So I haven't seen one of these in forever. <laughs> so, but when he's on there and it was one of those moments where I wish, uh, you know, since Ziggy was craving that love that, the story that he told about how you know he went and bought the liquor and 
you know, was it's making a, it's a merry-go-round. It is a merry-go-round. Okay, so yeah. the merry-go-round when when Nikki mm-hmm. is drunk on the merry-go-round, he's talking about Ziggy. And God damn, what <laughs> what did you find? Out? I just like I just looked at merry-go-round uh, merry-go-rounds on on I guess this is a website called. I mean, I'm not going to give them free press, but do you to get the merry-go-round, one of those little things that you put in the ground and then just like literally steal and a wheel, <laughs> that bitch is $6,300. Oh, word? That, that's, I'm not bullshitting. Like, look. I love that van. <laughs> and I love that you are, you are astounded by the cost of merry-go-rounds. <laughs> like the 6300 like 60 And by the way, it's down. Is it's normally sixty four forty seven? So you get a deal. Sixty three hundred dollars for that goddamn thing. Like they wilding. I love that this leads like, to Van being outraged about merry go rounds. I guess yo this <laughs> yo this park equipment is mad expensive. Like I'm not even okay. We we'll, we got a whole separate podcast but, but on the, just park now equipment. that makes me wonder: Is merry go round could that fit into the category of what age the best? Because clearly it did. If they still sixty three hundred dollars. Hey, yo, that's good. One for what age the best is merry go rounds because apparently because they they bitches still are expensive. Ex- <laughs> it's very expensive. I'm sorry, my bad. Meanwhile, the horizontal ladder, you know, the little ladder that you yeah, that you climb that you on. Climb. Yeah, I used to love that. That joint you do the little monkey bars mm-hmm. joint. That's only five seventy five. That's it. That's disrespectful. Yeah. I feel like that's disrespectful. Like, I, that's actually way more dope than a merry go round. That doesn't even make any sense. Uh, a side note: When I was um, younger, when, when and playing on those things, back when I used to be, I used to be super into wrestling, right? So I used to yeah. love watching, um, you know, the Road Warriors, everybody else, and Road Warriors were actually my favorite. So we would have scaffold mat- matches on or fake scaffold matches on those monkey bar climbing thingies. It was fun, good times. <laughs> what? Yeah, he said. Like y'all, how many broken arms? None, none. Oh wow! And we would be yeah, leaping off the gangsters. shit, and you know, swinging from right. it. It was like, come on! It was a oh much more God. innocent, dangerous time than man. It is sure. Yes, right. that's when you I, let your I'm, kids do shit like that, and, and nobody cared about limbs or anything. Wire fans, I'm sorry. I I got sticker shock. I wasn't. We can go back to the show. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I'm sorry. I, I'll have to be honest. Had you give me ten guesses about how much a merry-go-round in 2020 costs? I would have never crossed a thousand dollars. That's just me. Never. I would have never crossed a thousand dollars. So we digress. But my point is the story that Nikki told. That's a story that Ziggy needed to hear. Like he, mm. Ziggy was always craving this love, this acceptance, um, and the way that he brought people joy is by doing doing foolish uh, things. But that was like a foolish, Nick, a uh, foolish Ziggy story that didn't actually end with him being humiliated as some part of it. Where he wasn't right. really the punchline. He, yeah. People were laughing with him as opposed to Adam. And I was thinking to myself as he was telling that, like, that's the kind of story you should have told him. Like before, yeah. you know, but, or had that kind of memory of them before, um, you know, that actually happened. So it's just like, all right, well, you know, whatever. College kids ain't shit. In terms of uh, other uh, important scenes, I mean, I think in this one, especially when you see prop joe i think we're learning more and more about how prop joe operates and Mm. the more it's funny because i don't think i had this feeling about him previously but i think by the time we finish uh with this entire series my opinion of prop joe in this moment is going to be so much different than what it will be at the end 
Because at this moment, mm. I, now I'm seeing, you know, him going to Butchie about uh, Stringer offering a parlay. In that scene, it's just, you see why Pop Joe is so valuable and you see why he's such a great um, liaison for a lot of people. But you also understand that there's always a sneakiness to Pop Joe. Up to project. Uh, yeah. There's always yeah. like just innate sneakiness that he has. Like he, I think you mentioned this on the previous um, podcast that he never does things where there's not something in it for him. But mm-hmm. he, because of his nature, and I think because of the way he looks, people consider him not as much of a threat. So they usually tell him too much shit that they shouldn't trust him a little bit too much, and he's able to use this to his advantage. And his scene with Butchie kind of reminded me of like why Prop Joe. Um, when it comes to people in in the wire that are are considered like you know masterminds, like Prop Joe should honestly be on that list because of mm-hmm. the way he's able to manipulate people um, and their emotions and their interests in a very mm-hmm. casual and very careful um, way. Of all the the black crime bosses in the wire, he is the only one that you couldn't imagine winning a fist fight. Yes. Or you couldn't even um, imagine him putting in work, not even a fist work. fight. Because all yeah. of them had put in some kind of work. Right. Like you, like of all of them, you imagine Avon having to bust niggas ass. You, 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 you imagine Stringer, obviously Marlo, obviously Partlo, like later on. But you can't imagine Prop Joe ever. But he, despite that, he might be Pound for pound, it's a lot of pounds there. <laughs> I he felt might like that was that was a jab at Pop Joe. <laughs> pound, pound for pound, the most dangerous out of all of them. Mm. Because he slips in, he is a big man, but he can slip in those cracks, man. He can he can divide, slip in those cracks, and then slip out. It's just amazing for a man that big to be that slippery. And that and that that's what makes him particularly dangerous. I thought in this episode, there were some really good file this away for later uh, moments and including one I hadn't thought of until because uh, I usually like you. Sometimes I, I watch these episodes in bunches and I didn't realize this was a file this away in later mode the first time I watched it. But then the second time I was like, holy shit, that really was one. Um, Bubble spotting Brother Muzon shoot cheese is a big file this away for later moment, which I didn't Huge. realize the first time I watched it. I was like, oh. And then, you know, mm-hmm. now I do. So that was a good one. You mentioned Prez punching Valchek. That leads to several ramifications, some of which are dealt with in this season, some of which will not be apparent to another season or so. Um, and Ziggy buying the gun from the pawn shop. That mm. is a file this away uh, for a later moment because that winds up being a very key piece of evidence for something that occurs a couple episodes from now. What other file this aways did you notice? Um, well, obviously Omar and Stringer. Uh, that's, that's a, a that, and the reason why I say that's a father's away. Obviously, that kind of reconciles it. Um, that reconciles itself in the short term and the long term, but it's one of those moments where that is the moment that sets into motion. That's season three, basically. Yeah, yeah. That 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 is the mo- like. String didn't even know what he was, put it this way. String didn't even know what he was doing to himself in that moment. String didn't Spring, know what that. Wait, am I hearing this right? The great community college mastermind Stringer Bell did not have an angle. 
I, I'm sorry. I'm told on this podcast that Stringer Bell is, you know, he is the the, the Nobel Peace uh, Prize winner of our time on The Wire. That's what right, I'm told right. on this podcast. But apparently, all, Stringer actually I, I missed not, something. I, I know what you're not going to do, but you give Stringer credit. He played. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. He played Omar in that situation. Did he not? The all-knowing, all-street-wise, savvy, ghetto god Omar Little got played like a... He played that stinking god like a harp from hell. Shout out to Dave DeVito's Penguins. So anyway, um, okay. of course I had uh, Presbolewski on Valchek, not only for what it would do to Presbo, uh, but to another situation involving Presbo and another officer that we're going to see soon. Also, I want to say something else about that character and that moment. Another reason why that's a father's away for later moment, it's a weird father's away for later moment almost in a reverse because we're going to see, that's another example of Presbolewski having an incredible impulse control problem, right? Which has been a calling card of his character the entire time he's been on the screen in the show. Impulse control problem back in the first season when he, he clocks the kid with the bottle. Impulse control problem when he's shooting his gun. Impulse control problem when he shot up his cruiser before we even knew who he was. They told us about that. He is one of the characters who fundamentally changes because in a role that Presbolusi is going to be in a little while from now, he is not going to be able to give way to his impulses anymore. He is going to have to put them down way deep and let the front part of his brain, the thinking part, front part of your brain, just so you guys know, the reason why you ground yourself when you're having an anxiety attack, the front part of your brain, thinking part, back part, reactive part. You want to get your mind out of reactive thinking, get it back in. You ground yourself, look around, read colors, do all kinds of things like that. We'll talk about that on another podcast, mental health. We got to do it. But yeah, Presbo had to do that, right? Um, and so this, the reason why that moment's important is because that part of him is not going to be the same. So follow away for later that Presbo is going to change from who he is. Well, and the thing about how David Simon has set up the series is that he wants you to feel the futility of it. He wants you to feel as if they're they're caught up in this web of things that will never change, and they're fighting desperately against the machine, the man, all of that, and none of this shit is going to change. They are literally flailing their arms as they're drowning. He wants you He wants you to sit in that. But to your point, Presbolewski is one of the few characters in this entire series who actually evolves, where you're just mm. like, oh, what they started at versus what they finished at were two wildly different people. And wildly, wildly different. It's like... At the when Presbolewski, when he was first introduced as part of the detail, I thought he was going to be completely useless. And then even just looking where he is now to the point where he can kind of stand up for himself. Um, and, that, and that was what's so fascinating about his character is that he was always really passive aggressive. And the way they brought his character along is one of the few characters that allows you to feel um, a little bit of, of hope. Anything in this uh, episode that aged the best to you, man. I think this is the only episode where what aged the best and what aged the worst happened exactly at the same time. Ooh, okay. Do tell. Okay. So, text messaging aged the best. Of course. 
You had you had that one? No, but I this is what will trip you out about this is that the presence of text messaging in this episode to me also fit into, and we don't do this category every single time that we do the podcast, also fit into we love this show, but and I'll explain that. But I'm curious. You have me intrigued. How how so, is it the best and the worst? So like they said in this episode, they said they could send a text message and they talked about like they explained what a text message was, right? And obviously text messaging aged the best. What aged the worst is not knowing what a text message is. Boom. Like, like how could you like it aged the best? They're explaining to somebody what a text is and what aged definitely the worst is having no clue what a text message is. The, both of those things hit me like a ton of bricks when I saw that. <laughs> uh, to me, what aged the best is people realizing when it's too late, they don't really want to have children. That aged mm. age incredibly well. That whole situation uh, with Kima, it was like, hmm, I have, I have mm-hmm. seen that play out. You know, I know plenty of people who are very reluctant when they had kids and had that oh shit kind of moment or even went through some of the things we're seeing Kima go through. But a lot of time, but yet I consistently hear from a lot of people who have children. They are like, yeah, I love my kids, but don't do it. I'm like, damn, I hear that all the time. I'm like, Mm -hmm. that held up exceptionally well. So Mm -hmm. let me tell you how the text messaging fit into the we love this show. But so so text messages get brought up, right? How does Lester know so much about text messaging? Like, he literally <laughs> broke that down on a course level. Like, this is mm-hmm. text messaging 200 level uh, class at Stringer's Community College. Like, he... Oh, my God. <laughs> he broke that down. Leave that man alone. I know. I never cease to take a shot at Stringer Bell. And I, right. I promise you, I do not hate community colleges, all right? I think right. they're very fine institutions of learning. I just hate mm. Stringer for lording his community class knowledge over everybody else like he went to Harvard. But anyway... Mm-hmm. Um, but no, but Lester, I mean, I know he's a very smart detective. He knows a lot of shit about a lot of shit. But why would he know that much about text messaging? I only have one thought. Maybe one. He's dating a younger woman. Hmm. I may allow that. Char- I may Chardine, allow that. That's all. That's the only thing I can think of. Okay. And that's just off the top of my head. Because Chardine is still communicating with the girls back in the club, right? Because they still going out to bars She's together and all message. that stuff. She's doing it via text message. That could be it. That could be it. Because like he could see her messing around on the phone and be like, hey, baby, what is that? And then he puts his glasses on. How you do that? What's that? And you just say, the, you type the words. Why would you want to type the words? And remember how much text messaging used to suck when you had to like, oh, it was the letter the three letters and you and had the, to. Oh, that was terrible. Terrible. Oh. Terrible. Yes. Um, oh, one thing I, I definitely forgot to, to mention. Um, in this, uh, in the file away for later moments is that if you were watching, um, you know, fine listeners, notice how the detail does not know anything about Ziggy Sabaka being apprehended for murder. They're never told. Mm. Notice, notice that whole thing happens. You That's see, a good one. Yeah. You see Ziggy and then nobody tells anybody else. Only. That's a good one. That is a such a good one. That's yeah. one of the best fathers way. Yeah. For, and it comes right away. That's a good one. Yeah, I, I forgot. Yeah. I totally forgot to mention that. But yes, add to Lester Freeman's many abilities is apparently the text message, Dr. Text message, despite the fact yeah. that he's 7,000 years old. He somehow knows 
all the intricacies <laughs> of text messaging. And so with mm-hmm. that, I will skip to the trivia. So this was in, inspired by Double G's uh, unfortunate end. The term that a lot of people have heard throughout season two is the term Malacca, right? Mm, Malacca yeah. is, is Greek. Um, and what Malacca means in Greek, I did not realize this, is man who masturbates. That's what it means. Oh, wow. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right we we some malakas then that's all <laughs> and, and really you could name i might name my son malaka because that's a, that's a that's a 100 sure thing that's gonna happen if that's what that means that's not an insult that's like Look, having an insult healthy, for a man who breathes safe yeah like, malaka yourself out <laughs> malaka yourself malaka uh, by yourself. the way I, I don't have any trivia for you but i do want to give a shout out to somebody okay at field to the real P1. Field to the real P1 on Twitter. This guy has given me not one, not two, not three, not four different examples of trivia to say on the podcast, right? Okay. Um, I'm here for it. Um it it uh almost all of these I knew. Okay. But any fan that is loyal enough to weigh down in the hole to continuously come back with the trivia. Every, he said this time, he was like, I, right, this is my last one. And then he goes into something about Cheese and his relationship to a character oh, that we're going to. We know, yes. We know that. We know one. that. One. But I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll reiterate that when we get to the time. I was, some of these, I just wait until that person is sort of relevant to the episode. I get it. Yep. Right. And so I, but I love the fact that he loves Way Down in the Hole. So at Field to the Real P1 on Twitter, you get your shout out, my man. <laughs> we appreciate it. And we encourage anyone else, if you have bits of trivia, uh, please, uh, you know, Tweet, Van, or I. Uh, some of you guys have DM'd me uh, some trivia that I'm just waiting till that particular episode pops up and I will promise I will give you full credit. All right, Van, the moment of truth. Who won this episode? Before we get to that, I have one question I want to sure. ask you. Okay. And I almost want to do this daily. Van's questions about this episode. But I do, there's something that happens here that I want to ask what you thought about it. When Landsman is talking to Ziggy, and he's asking, and, and Ziggy's reading the typed confession. And Ziggy says the guy wasn't talking. He was more begging. Begging, right. I watched that scene four or five times, and I'll tell you why. I'm going to ask you what you think. I want everybody to watch that scene because it's a very powerful scene, and it's very important. I should have actually had that on my best scenes list where I could actually talk more about this in context. But I'll ask you now. Do you think that Ziggy changed that word from talking to begging because he was trying to boost his own ego and feel more powerful that the guy was begging him? Or do you think that Ziggy was so emotionally distraught over the look on the kid's face that he was emoting when he said that he was begging? It's a very, very important distinction, and I couldn't decide. And if you're listening to Way Down in the Hole and you're watching with us, hit me up on Twitter and tell me what you think. Was Ziggy flexing there, or was he in that moment 
so caught up that he couldn't remove himself from how the kid was begging for his life. I think he was caught up in the moment. I don't think he did it as mm. some kind of insane, weird flex. I, yeah. I think it was another indication of it really hitting home for him what he'd actually done. So, because mm. if you notice with that with that scene in general, I think it he's okay with with murdering Double G. He's okay with that. Like, I, I think he's just like, yeah, it's fucked up, but this guy's been riding me. Fuck him. This is what you get. But when he turns the gun on the on the 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 young person, on the young boy, that's when something else happens. Mm. And, yeah. and he does not look the same. And that's when he realizes, like, holy shit, I just murdered a cold blood. Uh, I just murdered somebody in cold blood. And I, I was about to do it again. It's a kid. It's a kid, yeah. right? The fact yeah. that he's a kid, it really, it really kind of, you know, kind of sinks in there. And so when he says it, he's not like, oh, he was begging. He's not like bragging. He's like, he was like begging. And that's when mm. he kind of understands like the gravity. I, the gravity of what he's done, that he's done something real fucked up. So that would be my yeah. vote. But if people mm. have a different opinion or you just want your opinion known, you know, make sure that you tweet Van and and make your observation of that, um, you know, known because I'm I am really curious as to how other people may have viewed that scene. Also, okay, see why are we on it? See, I'm glad you opened this can of worms. Why are you on that scene? You know, I did it occur to you, and, and maybe some of it is because of as we're taping this with this podcast. You know, we're in a certain certain climate. Uh, maybe you know a lot of the people that come into that particular precinct to wind up in that interrogation. Zeke is on a small list of people who didn't get their ass whooped in the interrogation room. Oh, we're, that's going to get worse. Oh, I know. Yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, like, like, but remember now, they haven't, they haven't, we, we, they haven't treated any of them that way. Yes, none of them. None, and, none and of the white folks. <laughs> and we're gonna see, and we're gonna see more interrogation scenes where the shit is completely different. My blood was boiling. Okay. Yeah. It was boiling. That's going to get worse. But you're right. Didn't even. And by the way, not only didn't they beat his ass, Landsman looked concerned for him. Of all people. Looked concerned for him. Yes. And so absolutely. You you absolutely completely different treatment. I got, I totally got Dylan Roof and the Burger King vibes. Like it was just like, it was just... But it's it's a testament, I guess. Hell, if, if we want to reconstruct it, that is what aged well. If you think right. about it, because yeah. that shit has not changed. It aged yeah, exceptionally, exceptionally well of white murderers being treated with grace and kindness by the police. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, now. now, finally. Okay, man. Who won this episode? I'm going to give it to Zig. Wow. I am shocked. Hard not to give it. I'm shocked. Hard not to, hard not to give it to Zig. Zig was the anchor that made this. He was the the, the straw that stirred the drink in this one for me. What about you? I'm gonna give it to to Perez, man. I mean, mm. you know, knocking out your father or not knocking him out, but like John, your father in law. Hey, that's yeah, pretty. That takes yeah. him. And again, he did the work of what many of them wanted to do. Of uh, uh, he was not the the hero we needed but the hero we definitely deserved in that moment <laughs> because Valchek has been a pain in the ass and the asshole this entire series and it does actually get worse. And so he need, he did the Lord's work. Thank you, right. Prez Belusky. You are a servant and a scholar. 
We appreciate yeah. you. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is going to do it for us. Kitties, uh, we'll be back with episode 11 as we wind down season two. And we will continue to cape for season two. Forget, mm. a, forget about what people say about it. This season is dope. It's live. So uh, I hope you're enjoying it. And uh, as always, keep listening to us and keep watching The Wire. We'll see you next time. God damn. $6,300 for that goddamn thing. It's like they wilding. You know, you know what, guys? Fuck you guys.